Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. I'm proud to offer premium wireless for just $15 a month. And I'm proud that we have thousands of five-star reviews from customers like Dan D in New York who writes, I am satisfied customer. How can this only be 15 bucks? He wrote it in all caps. I needed you to feel it like he feels it. I hope I did that justice, Dan. And I hope that you try Mint too at mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 for three months required. New subscribers only. Renew for 12 months to lock in savings. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com. Good day to you all. Welcome to episode 43 of an Airful podcast. On this episode, we have a chat with Josh Rubin director and actor in the new film which is now available on video on demand called skirmy yes now if you don't know skirmy was previously exclusive to shudder um it's a story about two people trapped during a power outage who tell one another scary stories these scary stories slowly escalate and manifest and fred played by josh rubin confronts his ultimate fear while completely being emasculated by Aya Cash's character, Fanny. Um, it's a fantastic movie. We jump straight into it. That's why I'm letting you know what this is all about here. Uh, if you're after purchasing the film, which we highly recommend, there'll be a link down in the description. And as always, don't forget to uh, find us on socials. Um, give us some support. Check us out on YouTube. You can watch uh, our faces on there if you want to. Um, and also, more importantly, go watch Scurby if you haven't already watched it. I mean, I assume you've watched it if you're listening to this. But if not, go watch it. It's on Shudder. And also, it's available on video on demand on all platforms uh, starting today, if you're watching on the 15th. So, uh, yeah, go give it a watch. Enjoy the podcast. Enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> so happy yeah. you knew what I was talking about. <laughs> Five. Four, three, <laughs> yes. So we should begin by saying thank you for joining us, Josh Rubin. Pleasure to be here. I just uh, made fun of Paul Mezcal, who I love. I love the show. Um, and I know he's, uh, I think he's Welsh or Irish, <clears throat> but um, it uh, just feels like the right day to be talking to uh, some gentlemen in the UK. Should we get started on the uh, movie? We're obviously going to start talking about um, your recent release, recently released movie, uh, Skirmy, because um, we've got a lot to talk about. Yes. We've been, uh, we rewatched the movie recently and we, we like oh, picked up, especially you. the second time, and a lot of things in the movie like going through so yeah we're probably going to go deep into stuff um <laughs> but yeah man let's do it <laughs> love it I'm, i love it <clears throat> i've got a massive ego so i'm just so excited <laughs> oh perfect yes, <laughs> yes. no poppycock syndrome for me so like it, in itself is a pretty unique film and like coming from the approach of like turning something like simple as like telling like scary stories into a horror movie um by just using like stuff like audio cues instead of relying on those like like visual like start visuals that you used to in a horror movie like what were the like challenges of doing something like that knowing <clears throat> it's not really been done before well the first thing is um you know reassuring your crew that they're in for something cool when you're not paying them a lot of money so they, there was probably a lot of crew members that were like oh great we're gonna go to the woods for 
two weeks, not only do we have to shoot this thing in 13 days, 12 and a half days, but how is this going to be interesting to people talking? And so when I was doing the, you know, you do a tech recce or a pre-production meeting or, you know, a, a, a tech scout basically, which I did with the crew. And I sort of was acting out some of the movie or showing some of the movie and what it would be in some of the sequences. So I, you know, acted out like Fred's werewolf story. And I knew that I'd hit a nerve in a good way when my, my key grip said, oh, okay, that's, that's fucking cool. You know, like when and they're like, like they got excited. To, like, okay, this is the job I'm going to buckle up for. So the challenge was just like kind of showing or proving that like what was going on in my head was going to be effective and impactful. Um, and then beyond that, you know, it's a, a bit of that is, is getting your actors to trust you. But luckily, like Chris Red and I, Cash and, and, and Becky too, Drysdale, Piz Patina, they were all just super down They're You know, they come from the live performance world anyway. So that was probably the biggest, the biggest challenge um, beyond, you know, weather. Um, but, uh, but proving, proving it to people wasn't too tough because they know that I'm a weird imaginative man and they were in for a weird imaginative <laughs> journey, if you will, you know. Speaking of which, when this first idea came to yourself, mm-hmm. how, how did that begin? Do you have like a team of writers for yourself personally where you bounce ideas? Because I know the creative process with writing, it's never a straightforward one. There's a lot of back and forth. How did it begin? That's a great question. It was a confluence of events. It was a combination of my being fed up directing, you know, uh, uh, bleach commercials and uh, toilet paper commercials and just being in the commercial world, which is really fun, but that no one was going to give me, like spoon feed me an opportunity to act in something or to direct something and that I was going to have to do it myself. So it was a combination of that and also what was going on in the world, the height of the Me Too movement, you know, it was Aziz Ansari had just been accused of sort of, you know, um, taking advantage of someone. And that was really frustrating, regardless of what the accuracy of it was. Um, And that was happening a lot in the film world, you know, the the thing about nice guys and guys being shitty or having ulterior motives. And I, you know, I'd always had more women friends, I think, in my life, just as a sensitive little boy. Um, And uh, uh, I was really excited to explore the competitive nature of men and women and what it means for, especially for us as guys, you know, we're brought up to sort of be like, you're going to grow up, you're going to be successful. You're going to take care of everyone. And, you know, sometimes we have this icky urge that we're entitled to other people's success, especially with women. It's a very interesting icky thing. Like when I mentioned it to other guys, like guys all kind of their shoulders go up. So I wanted, I was excited to explore that in the context of an anthology movie that never leaves the campfire. And um, so I just wrote, I wrote on my own and the, uh, I had the first draft, I, you know, kind of crapped out in about three days and all along my true co-collaborator was Brendan Banks was the cinematographer. He, he and I had made a bunch of short films together and I was just, I sent him the first hot off the presses dump that was littered <laughs> with, you know, inaccuracies and typos and just kind of a mess. And he was the first one to, to give me notes. And that was, that was my main kind of, you know, idea bouncer. And then I would kind of share uh, with other people in my, in my circle as you go. Because you do have to have, you know, your trusted buds. Yeah, um, 100%. Because sometimes it's the, um, it's your bubble and you, you're in love with something you've just made. But you yeah. can come back to it a couple of days later and think, what on earth is this? So having trusted people to go, yeah, it's fine. 
I just realized that you, your background wasn't taken on a family vacation. That it's <laughs> <laughs> the cabin from the film. It is. We were wondering to see if you recognize it. Literally just occurred to me. And, he, and here I am going with like Matt's side, like, oh, well, that's Halloween, huh? <laughs> God. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, my work. Cool. But <laughs> Rob Zombie's Halloween poster. That's a good sign, I think. Not quite a Nico. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I hope, I hope that kind of answers your question. I mean, the thing changed as we went, you know, in every, yeah, cool. every draft, every iteration of it, you know. I saw like three years ago as well, you did the short cabin. Was that sort of like a precursor to this? Like if that was like sort of the sort of premise, obviously in regards to like this, the structure. It was my first foray into doing a, um, horror or anything like playing yeah. in that most people know me from comedy from college humor and all that stuff and i wanted to just do something narratively and with brendan brendan as a director and a cinematographer he was the one who suggested hey i've got the camera and i want to just you know i want to experiment with directing and shooting narrative and see if i can even do it if you want to write something and be in it and i said okay i'll write something and be in it something small terraform to our resources right and you shoot it and <clears throat> let's see what comes out of it so in a way it kind of was just in sort of an experiment in working with your buddies. Then pretty much that whole crew ended up working on Scare Me, which was great. You know, Sean Dermond, who produced it, he was he's really a costume designer by trade. And he was also a brilliant director and writer. But, you know, it was, it was cool to kind of come up with your friends and then bring them into a bigger opportunity when, um, when it presents itself. I think that's one of the uh, charms of Scare Me. I think it's the whole, that it's, it's weirdly minimal but yet it packs so much charm in it it just makes it a really enticing film to watch because you, you've worked with such like a minimal location it's all based in one place but it does so much the story drives along so far without having to do multiple locations or anything was that in like a concept you originally had for it that it was going to be one place two people and then go from there or is it something that came eventually yeah, I mean, mainly because it was inexpensive. You know, I I, I took money out of my, uh, you know, my 401k, you know, my savings, my, my retirement um, from from my time at College Humor, actually, <clears throat> which, you know, thankfully, I, I didn't get a massive fee from the uh, Internal Revenue Service for um, because it was an investment, but it was a huge risk. And, and, uh, and uh, I always knew it was going to have to be a few people and have to be me because I'd be the cheapest actor and director that we could get um so i knew that but i was excited to do a smaller movie i loved uh i i loved acting school i loved i always fantasized about working opposite really any actor who was like really doing it like really listening and really being able to play something kind of dark and fun but that was also an actor showcase for me and to raise up the talents of others you know to raise up chris and to raise up aya to see them do stuff that they hadn't really done that's 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 a dreamy part of doing what i i do and want to do um and uh so yeah it was i i basically <clears throat> that kind of mark duplass kind of way you know you you terraform a movie you retrofit it to your resources. I know I can put three people up at my mom and dad's house, which I did. I know, you know, um, whatever. I know the local caterer, so maybe we can get a discount. I, you know, I could shoot it in my town, so that'd be, you know, whatever. Lovely and comfortable, and um, we can have a little party or two at my, you know, my house I grew up in, whatever, whatever it is. 
So, uh, so that was just, that was part of the approach inherent in it. I think that's the funnest experience of when you're doing something creative. I think that's something that we can translate across with us where we do music. And that seems like something that is very sim similar to like when we do like recording process, when we go and record at a studio where it's all a group effort and everyone's in that experience. It seems like something which is kind of translated and can be moved across to different formats. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's, that's accurate, I think. I just immediately think it's similar to like a, a punk D DIY aspect of let's get it done. Cause like you say, no one's spoon feeding at you. So you've gone out and got it. I, that's, that's fl a flattering uh, uh, analogy because you know, that's kind of the world that I came, I came from. We used to call it garage band comedy, you know um, like when I would do stuff with my, my first sketch group Dutch West, like 20 years ago, you know, before, we started making videos before YouTube and before Flash when like Homestar Runner was like the thing or like White as Kids You Know, you know, like the first videos <laughs> kind of go online, you know. Um, uh, and yeah, it kind of is. It's, I mean, there was a version of this that was going to be Kickstarter campaign, even if it costs $5,000 and I'm holding the boom while I'm acting like we were, just, we were like, we're going to do it. We're going to make them our first thing no matter what. And um, luckily, it, it turned out, you know, to, to be a little more uh, large in scale. Uh, but yeah, here we are. So like, as we've seen throughout the movie, you've packed it full of references to like what seems like some of your like favorite horror films. Um, obviously, some, one of them being Misery, uh, which we see like quite a few nods to throughout, which I think was pretty cool, obviously with the cabin. Um, and then you've got uh, Tales from the Crypt as well the voice that you make and obviously the, the whole point of it being sort of like a in a way like all little short stories within the within the what like within the movie and then um obviously you've got the shining in there where you've got all your different references like jack torrance and you're doing your jack torrance impression and then you go crazy towards the end of the movie was this like like did you integrate all these things obviously during the writing part and like on purpose like was it was it obviously deliberately put there for, for people to like sort of notice those things throughout the movie. Yeah, because that's the kind of stuff that I like to yeah. watch. I loved Stephen King, anything. Um, it took me a while to come around to reading the books, but I'd watch every movie from the good to the trashy when I was a kid, and, you know, including Cat's Eye. Like Cat's Eye is an anthology film that I actually really like, mainly because it feels like a cozy blanket of a, of a thing to me and my nostalgia. Um, but yeah, that's, those are the kinds of films I like. I like stuff that's like, you know, uh, unabashedly packed with Easter eggs yeah. to the point where it's almost obnoxious. I like stuff that gets a little meta, you know. Um, I like movies that, that, that have a rewatchable quality. And for my like dense lizard brain, that's, that's exactly the kind of film that I like. Something I pop on, you pick up on all the little things again, or it has a fun score. It's got just kind of a fresh sort of a vibe to it. And um you know, that's why some of the best advice for filmmakers is just to not only write what you know, but write to that specific thing that that one thing that happened to you that like happened to nobody else and just like dig in and dig in, dig into the idiosyncrasies and the specifics of it, because that's what makes it fresh. Like, even though we, you know, we watch and love these, you know, big, splashy Marvel movies, they all kind of feel the same and formulaic in a way. But what's fresh about it in a way is that the and John Favreau made Iron Man, an integral part of Iron Man was the improv. They didn't have a script, really. You know, they had a, they had a script, but they were kind of writing on their feet. So 
it began, it had an energy about it from the get-go. And it's part of, I think, what makes the Marvel franchise is kind of big and Hollywood and splashy as it is so fresh, is that there's a freshness about it. There's always, they always allow that play to be kind of part of it. It helps you kind of love the characters. And so everybody's yearning for a different kind of a thing, a fresh thing. And, uh, you know, more or less, I think what I leaned into here helps to do again. Just whilst we're on about The Shining, uh, what's your take on Doctor Sleep then? Do you think it's a good, faithful sequel, or would you say that it's Mr. Step? I, I dared myself to watch it on an airplane and then quickly chickened out because if I were Mike Flanagan <laughs> and I heard someone watch that three-hour epic on a, on a box that size, they would <laughs> yeah. do that. So I think what I'm going to do is, is reread The Shining and then read dr sleep and then watch the shining and then watch dr sleep because now we're beyond kind of spoiler territory i also listened to i assume all you guys have watched it but i i, I yeah. listened to uh mick garris's interview with mike flanagan they gave away the um the um henry oh gosh what's his last name uh, who played elliot who's in everything that he does that this got on my brain um but anyway the the, the appearance of jack in the film and that 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 yeah. actor who played elliot and et henry who uses um henry thomas my god playing him and that that being a really cool kind of a thing but i've, I've heard all the mixed stuff i still adore mike flanagan and his yeah. style and vibe and i'm thrilled to see it and i'm sure i'll totally find it satisfying um, but I haven't seen it yet. We'll have to hop back on and talk about, you know. There you go. Perfect <laughs> reason to get you back, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, uh, I have another movie coming out, hopefully in the next year, if not um, just beyond, called Werewolves Within. So if, you know, you guys want to have me back, we can talk about werewolves, but also about what I finally, by then, I probably would have read the two books and watched the two <laughs> I was going to bring this up. Are you just drawn to werewolves? What's going on? <laughs> that was total coincidence. It was crazy serendipity. I um, had wrapped Scare Me. I invited those producers, Matt Miller and Natalie uh, Metzger, who who were behind. Actually, they produced not only Thunder Road with Jim Cummings, but also The Wolf of Snow Hollow, which was his follow-up movie. So his follow-up movie is about werewolves, which was originally called The Werewolf, and they changed the title <laughs> to The Wolf of Snow Hollow. So they brought me in to pitch on werewolves within after they finished producing the werewolf now called the wolf of stow hollow and there are werewolves in scare me and fred um. just like ah! um so i need this yeah. written down <laughs> oh, wolves are everywhere yeah 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 everywhere and hey we need more you know i i'm excited i was so thrilled to pitch on it i was terrified because it's i thought it was going to be a video game movie and mm. like some giant studio video game movie. It was not. It was luckily technically what they call an independent film when movies don't cost a gajillion dollars um, and you still have some freedom. Uh, but anyway, yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to uh, have to talk about that one. But I love werewolves and I love uh, love werewolves werewolf movies. I, I do one again. So I was going to talk about this because with it online, it says it's obviously a video game adaptation. I was going to ask, what was the, one of the biggest challenges in terms of adapting something that already has a premise and putting it to where it's in line with your vision, of what you think it should be? Well, um, that's, a, that's a great question. The wonderful thing about Ubisoft, and there's not a whole lot I can say about the specifics of the movie because it's, they haven't even announced it um, beyond the, you know, the articles, casting and whatnot, but I'll say that the wonderful thing about that project was that it wasn't, and they, they didn't want it to have anything to do with the, mo with the video game. 
which, right. which is a bit, essentially a VR mafia or a VR werewolf, you know, the game of werewolf, um, sitting in a circle and the like, but with a mythology about it in a sort of a medieval town, everything else. So the wonderful thing was, you know, they just sort of as part of the female fellowship program at Ubisoft screenwriting program, uh, Mishnah Wolf wrote this script that basically only had the title, you know, and then she just wrote the story about the sort of, you know, small town. Um, and, uh, so the, if anything, what I did was try and put Easter eggs in lay Easter eggs into the film that had anything to do with the game itself. But, you know, the game isn't, you know, it's not some massive call of duty level, you know, game that everybody has this emotional investment in, but for anybody who does, even if just the designers, I wanted to know it's important. It's a, technically it's a game movie. You want to have a game Easter egg. I want to see that. So um, uh, not much of a challenge, but I'll say, you know, beyond that, speaking to my being anxious about pitching on something that felt bigger than me, especially having done a tiny movie, my big, my big thing was I'm just going to pitch the movie that I want to make. I'm going to reference arachnophobia and Jaws and um, uh, Hot Fuzz. And then if nice. they go for yes. that, great. <laughs> if not, you know, um, uh, too bad. And luckily they went for it. And then it, you know, it uh, is what it is. Speaking of creative freedom, um, so I'm going to jump back to scare me because mm-hmm. it's just a perfect excuse to ask you to come back to talk about Werewolf. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the creative freedom, the sound design is such an integral part of this film, which was refreshing to see. Were, was your stance on the sound design, were you heavily involved or did you take a step back and let the sound designers do their thing because creatively, if you just leave them and trust them, you tend to get a better result. Yeah, I, I, was, I was very involved, but my process with any editor or any designer is to say like, look, <clears throat> this is too small of a project for you not to have skin in the game, for you not to have some kind of creative involvement. I mean, that's, that's how you should approach anything and everything. Even if you're, you know, you're managing an H&R block, <laughs> you, know, you, you, you gotta give people a, creative agency right so i like to give people space but my my um, mandate was let's not get caught trying to uh, let's not get caught being unrealistic so even so these things aren't really happening in the room um but let's make it sound like they are so let's ground the sound in reality let's really let's really recreate what it would sound like if something was walking or shuffling around upstairs or you know if um you know an old irish an old uh, um uh, russian man was you know coughing up you know whatever applesauce and peanut butter on a couch during a lightning storm um <laughs> you know, anything that we could do to make it as accurate uh, as possible was the mandate but john moros our, our sound uh sound designer and our and our um our mixer uh ian steinus were so so rad they were just so great and so excited because it's a sound designer's movie same with the same thing with the musicians it's it's a composer's movie you nearly caught me in the movie with a werewolf hand as well you know coming around the corner i thought oh oh i'm gone like i thought we were going to see something (laughs) there Dude, I, I totally, the rules are so messy. The rules are so sloppy. I mean, like, it, judging by you seeing one werewolf hand, one creature thing, uh, we should have ended the film with a Cthulhu uh, descending the stairs. Um, but, uh, but we didn't, and that's, that's just the mess of it. But it's cool in a way you could justify that to be like, well, 
werewolves are very masculine mythology. Fred is exerting the most raw masculine ah, okay. at the top of the film. Yeah, yeah. You actually, so much so you actually see it in a way that Fanny is just kind of consistent and graceful about it, but that's just my bullshit excuse to get out of trouble. <laughs> well, I always <laughs> took it as like, um, kind of like these broken rules add to the eerie creepiness of it. Um, yeah. It Follows is like a film that always jumps out because that has things that don't make sense in the film mm. and make it feel strange to you. And that's, that's how I took that one. Oh, I love Absolutely. that film. Yeah, I got to add that to my letterbox. I made like a top 10, it was top five or something with a ridiculous number. Um, and uh, I got to add It Follows to it. I think It Follows and even Autopsy of Jane Doe, if you guys haven't seen it, that one is just yeah. out of control. Another small, you know, base, one location based film. Oh, I never you mentioned, Mad, yeah, you mentioned Matt Duplass before as well and Creep. Add that sort of vibe to it as well. Creep, creep one and creep two. Like when I, I avoided it for a while, and I don't know why. And then when I watched it, I was like, I've been missing out big time. Dude, like, dude, and they want to make a third crazy. one. They want to make it a trilogy, which is so fun. It's just like let's make a trilogy, but on a small level. And I don't know. I'd like yeah. to do that with Scare Me. I've actually kind of thought, you know, there's a, there's a world to spin off and build out just on a small scale. It could be so fun, you know. Yeah. Well, we didn't see your character die as such, you know what I mean? And you, that's the rule in the horror film. If you don't see him dead properly, you never know. Yeah, it'll have to be called, you know, Scare Me Too, Fred by Dawn. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think that's what I'm going to tell everybody I'm working on next. Please do. Please. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Fred reenacting uh, uh, Evil Dead, Dead by Dawn by himself in the afterlife. <laughs> <laughs> excruciating to watch it's just a shot by shot and yeah terrible <laughs> so obviously in the film you're um, you're alongside Aya Cash um which is more notably known for, for me personally first of all because I watched the boys season two and then the advertisements then came out for Skirmy I was like oh six years in a horror film <laughs> so and yeah. um, that's how that originally came about um how was the experience of working with Aya but how was what was the process of also getting her involved within the project I had known Aya for many years through her husband Josh who uh was a voiceover artist and I'd come up we had the same agent for some time so we, we'd run into each other in my hometown where um, nearby they have a home and she was always my top choice. I mean, for many reasons, not just because she comes from the theater world and she's like insanely um, just accessible and kind and cool and talented as hell. But, you know, if I was, you know, you talk about terraforming a, a film to your resources. Well, I knew that the most famous actress I knew in my circle, the most accessible I knew to my circle lived only, you know, a few miles from my, my, my hometown. Um, so she was, she was the first ask, um, uh, not just out of, you know, inordinate talent, but out of, um, out of convenience. And even to her, she'd finished this show she'd been on for several seasons. You're the worst on FX. And <clears throat> she had been talking about how she was, uh, excited to do a film role, a challenging role, um, or just work that was in some way challenging. You know, there's no sex scenes in bathing suits. Maybe I could do something challenging in my acting career, um, up next. And so I took advantage of that. I said, well, here's a challenge, you know, you can do play this, uh, all these characters and, uh, pull tears and, and play, uh, young and old and violent and all these things. 
And um, she said, well, when I said acting challenge, I meant like, you know, a period piece, not, you know, crawling on the floor and barking like a dog <laughs> and doing a Crypt Keeper impression. But um, uh, so part of the process was really just sort of asking her if she'd be interested in working from home, essentially. Um, and uh, she said, yes, absolutely. She loves being in that part of the world when she's not working. Um, so that was a bit of an incentive for her, um, even though shooting in the winter really sucked. But our process in advance was, you know, we had one rehearsal and one read through. You know, we, we went to the location, just her and I, Chris Red and Brendan, our cinematographer, just to show them what it was, just to kind of briefly walk through where we'd be, more or less, read through it and then have lunch, you know, like not make a big deal of it. Um, and uh, the great thing about her is she's not one to get all Strasbourg in a corner, you know, don't talk to me. I'm trying to get to this heady place. She's very fun to have on set and down to play. And she just likes to work and be around cool people. And she was, she was great. She's unbelievable. I'd love to work with her again. I loved the, just, it's such a different story because it, there's finally no cliches being played out, which we've seen a thousand of times in horror. And you get completely emasculated throughout this movie and you see your thought process of Aya Cash's character Fanny has everything your character could want and that plays like a very nice dynamic where these light-hearted stories you can see how quickly they could turn and I just yeah. to see Thank you. Yeah, it's a very idiosyncratic, very specific thing. And again, talking about writing to your specific thing. I recognize Fred in other people, not even just men, um, uh, uh, women, women identifying certainly in myself. Um, and I wanted to, to lean into that. It's a, it's a scary thing. And also it was cool you know, having a, <clears throat> a, a producer who's a woman who'd been through what Fanny had been through just be, by existing. Yeah, you know, a lot of women that we know um, have been in the situation where they've hung out with a guy all night or a couple guys or whatever, and at the end of the night, you know, they're sort of cornered in the kitchen and they don't know if he's going to like make a move or do something worse or nothing at all or just be a jackass. And um, that was uh, that was kind of the that's the, the wonderful, terrifying thing about it is that it's it's. They played all night, and now the real horror movie is just like this—the the very real situation that a lot of people find themselves in, thanks to you know shitty dudes. <laughs> but he wasn't a, originally, you know, he was a light switch psycho. Like I was just going to do it, like adaptation. Like okay, suddenly they're in a movie. Suddenly it's like real, and the threat is real. But um, I had a good suggestion from a producer we had um, we'd gone to to ask to invest in the film, who didn't, but gave us some great advice, which was. Um, make it muddy the line don't make it so obvious you know make it and, and i like that it's more from a rough housing perspective mm. a thing taken too far a story or a vibe taken too far because of that emasculation that we end up where we do and uh, i think it's 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 kind of what separates it I think that um it plays into what we consider like psychological horror at that point where you're getting your scares from the stories and the sound design mm. but then in addition to it you're thinking there's some, there might be something else. Yeah, and uh, you know, I again botched the rules with there not being a creature descending the staircase in the end. But uh, there's something else in this case was you know the monster was in the house all along. You know yeah. the monster is in a, you know what's what's worse than a than a, you know a, a, a mid 30s white dude who feels left out, ostracized, not heard. 
which is what so many um, marginalized folks feel on a daily basis, but guys like us feel entitled to the X, Ys, and Zs of privilege. Well, what happens when it's just consistent and battering, especially when you can't self-soothe? If you could self-soothe like Carlo could, who was just comfortable with himself, you know, there's your lesson. Well, if you can go with the flow, yeah. <laughs> you don't yeah. need to chase anyone and act like a jackass. Um, <laughs> the night will end mm-hmm. fine. Yeah, so it's today's modern horror, self-entitlement. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's very real. <laughs> it's crazy. That was the original, uh, original title, self-entitled. <laughs> <laughs> That's your sequel. That's number three. <laughs> The trilogy. <laughs> I was going to say those in, the impressions that you do for it, the film as well, are spot on. I know uh, Matt was mentioning before you do you do some on uh, your podcast as well. Um, we was trying our own Devin uh, Devin the Troll impressions before. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. um, <laughs> Devin the Troll. <laughs> there you go. You even got the eyes too. <laughs> yeah, you got to. <laughs> we couldn't get Matt to do it though. I mean, rock on Matt, but the top one. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, the one with the cabin. Are you he won't do it. Matt? Is it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I love that. That's yeah, party. How rude of us yeah, to yeah. not introduce ourselves. We were just like, hi, should we click record then? <laughs> <laughs> hi, we're Matt. And um, that's that. Yeah, it's the worst of when we actually when we went to uh, speak to bands when we were on tour and like, we were introducing ourselves like, hi, I'm Matt. Hi, I'm Matt. And it was like, piss off. You're yeah. not called that. <laughs> That's a great band name. Hi, I'm Matt. <laughs> That's a punk Die band project. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Oh. It's just Matt's Matt, like that's lap. So, we, <laughs> so, so we, with this scurvy being filmed in Burrsville, is that right? Uh, it was filmed filmed in Bearsville, yeah, yeah. Yes, was Amazon was right. <laughs> right. Yeah, got that trivia. So, as a, if there was a, a tourist coming to Bearsville for the first time, what would be the first place that you'd recommend? Uh, oh, I thought you said terrorist. If you're a terrorist. no <laughs> terrorist, <laughs> Jesus, that's a different oh, question. <laughs> uh, don't blow up the bread shop. Um, <laughs> and, uh, oh gosh, I mean. Um, there are so many places and some of these depends on the time of the year. Uh, I would say start the day with a hike to Overlook Mountain, uh, rather Ooh. the Overlook hike, which actually brings you to a burned down hotel that once was called the Overlook Hotel, unrelated to the Shining Overlook, what? I think. What? Crazy. No, yeah. it's way too coincidental. I'll email you the picture of it or if you just Google it, Overlook Hotel Woodstock, and it will come up and it's a burned structure. So it looked like Jack Torrance may have actually done it. Um, and uh, it was just not far from my childhood home. I would recommend starting the day with an, a hike to Overlook, getting um, breakfast at Shindig, uh, and, uh, and, then, uh, and then, I don't know, uh, maybe just you know, chilling out and making a fire if it's cold in your, you know, in your rental or uh, walking through town, going to Candlestock. You can see the world's biggest candle at least i think it is it's all melted made of other candles that's my recommendation that's one thing america has that we never do like the world's biggest one yeah i know that it's never exists little, over here yeah oh the, the country of ego well we have the biggest <laughs> record player uh, 15 men just lifting the needle just a waste. It's all good. Everything in America that's large is just going to end up in pieces in someone's garage, just like our Sega Genesis, you know. 
<laughs> I've actually I've actually got a Mega Drive upstairs somewhere. Hey, there you go. Wow. Wow. I think Sonic and Knuckles is still in it, but oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I had a Sega Saturn and I played Virtual oh, Cop wow. on it all the time. Until wow. Scratched. And the Independence Day game, which was just flying and trying to shoot at, wow. you know, alien uh, alien ships. And now I'm 37 and I don't. <laughs> <laughs> for now <laughs> so i guess we'll go on to um our first uh, question that we usually ask what is your favorite scary movie or scary movies because you mentioned your top five before so gosh that's such a great that's such a great question i guess technically it's jaws um jaws is the is the one that just keeps on giving um there's so many i'm trying to think of the one or ones that i've watched multiple times uh, I don't know why I love talk about werewolf movies. I love Bad Moon so much. Um, not many people have seen it. It's yeah, I don't think I have. Yeah, no. it's, it's r- really phenomenal werewolf effects. Um, uh, you guys should check it out. The movie starts with just like explicit, bo- uh, an explicit boob shot, just like you know, just tits right out the bat, and then they never do, do that again. Um, uh, so which is just indicative of the films of the mid nineties. Um, but I really, I think that's just kind of fun. And I, I really love, uh, even though I haven't seen it in a bit, creep show is just so colorful and wonderful. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I feel like that question always has like, there's two answers. There's your all time favorite and then there's your recent favorite because you can never shove away your constant go-to. I know, man. I mean, when you said it follows, and I had actually forgotten about it, like putting my little list together, I was just like, shit, you know, there's so many. <laughs> yeah. Constantly, so many that just pop up for me, like the recents. I mean, there's so many wonderful recents. I actually loved Midsommar. I couldn't get that one out of my head for a bit. And um, Autopsy of Jane Doe and It Follows. Um, yeah, wonderful. I made, well, we all made the mistake of watching, there's a, um, a documentary on Shudder called In Search of Darkness. It's like a four hour documentary all about the 80s. As we were talking before <laughs> we hit record, our love of like John Carpenter's score and stuff. Dude, my letterbox is just a wish list now of what you have to watch on the, it's I, I know, ending. there was stuff, I was like, I'd never seen The Stuff or The Brood or... Um, the guy who directed the stuff who they interviewed in the search of darkness, he, he'd done surprisingly a lot. Like he did that weird movie about that, like dragon that like flew around and it was like a really, like, um, really pulpy kind of movie with like a claymation, like creature that flew around. You know, do you remember that ring a bell? Let's see if I can find it. Um, well, anyway, it's, uh, it was just, it was cool to see some stuff that I'd recognize just an imagery from my childhood and they are doing a part two because there's so many, like I yeah, haven't seen so. that or chopping mall or I'm behind, yeah. but yeah, that I, I devour that. And another really good documentary. I'm sure you guys, or at least one of you've seen it is never sleep again. That's yes dude it's <laughs> all nightmare on elm street oh and it, so... it is actually phenomenal it's it's ever they'd go through everyone the backstory like the homoeroticism of number two they go into the claymation effects they go into makeup effects how freddie's image changed the comedy and the countless interviews it's it's four it's like four and a half hours and i'm just i think i watched oh, I it. it yeah yeah if you had to rank the 
Elm Street franchise then, top three, what would you go for? I I actually really love, oh, that's so, that's tough, man. I th- Yeah, okay, that's not too bad. I think Dream Warriors and number one, uh, the original, the original Dream Warriors and um, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. I think, uh, cool. oh, no, oh. actually, I'm sorry, New Nightmare. I think uh, yes. New Nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Choices. Because didn't, Car- didn't Wes direct that one? Yes. Yeah, he did. Yeah, New, New Nightmare's incredible. That's I think that's one of the best meta. So good. You can see him like just toying with what's going to happen in the nineties when he does scream, and he just takes all this yeah. gold that he's already made. It's really yeah, because New Nightmare was meta, and then Scream was like ultra meta. Like he's referencing Nightmare on Elm Street in the, <laughs> and then also mentioning the cliches of horror films and playing on those things and it yeah man it's crazy i think it was jed shepherd i could be wrong who produced and wrote host um, oh man what a film he, so good my god um uh, i think he was the one who maybe pitched this pitched this uh this fan uh this fan theory about the next scream um, but that the next scream film it might have been might have been jed i can't remember but that the next Scream film was actually going to be the real event that Stab was based on. So it was going to be like a meta, meta, like, you know how Stab is like, oh, yeah. World, so that Scream is going to be like the real, like what really, ha- I don't know. Um, it was something to that effect. And I'll just be like, if they, they want to go that meta, I'm, I'm all for it. I just, I think my brain kind of explodes. But anyway, yes, those, those three, uh, the, the original Dream Warriors and New Nightmare, I think are just, out of this world. I think with Dream Warriors, like I've always said for myself, is the special effects in that like stand out. And then also when they combine the bit of CGI, you know, and the bit where he's doing the puppeteering. Oh, man. Like, man, that scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, like throughout the 80s, all those films that when they relied on just the special effects, and as you're saying, Creep Show with Tom Savini and all the stuff he created just for that. Is that is that something you'd like to like? aim towards maybe in the next horror film that you do, maybe incorporate a load of like special effects like that. I think practical effects are so dreamy because, you know, it's, I think our, our generation will probably not, I'm probably the oldest one here. I know I am, but I, I think we all yeah. grew up with, at, at least there's an adoration for those, those types of films with practical effects and yeah. wherever you can utilize practical effects, especially practical creature effects. It's just so dreamy. You know, we grew up with the, the puppets and puppeteering of the Jim Henson era um, and of, you know, Ghostbusters and Dark Crystal and Labyrinth and, um, you know, uh, I mean, all the way up through, again, films like Bad Moon and The Howling and, um, you know, uh, American Werewolf in, in, in London uh, and on and on and on. Uh, yeah, I think anything, anywhere, any way to keep that world alive is is really think it's kind of crucial because it's so effective anything you can do this is a filmmaker anything you can do in camera anything you can do in real life would recreate is just uh it's unbeatable and also there's just there's just such a, such a charm to it i mean you know john landis not john landis um uh was it uh was it john hughes no no chris columbus i'm sorry chris columbus talking about a script existing for the next gremlins and that if they do the next Gremlins, yeah. they would once again yeah. be, and you have to, you can't just do CGI Gremlins. It's just no, no effect. No, You're no, losing no. your charm, right? So, yes, I'd like that to be part of 
as much as as I do as possible. Staying on that subject, I think it's such a, a critical item to for a film to be rewatchable. Because I'll happily sit through an 80s film or a 90s film because I know I know they've got practical effects. But if you want to watch something from the 2000s that I know has got terrible CGI, it just takes me out of the immersion of the film. I don't want to watch it again. One of the ones that comes to, to mind right away is I Am Legend. I've only seen it once. Yeah. I want to watch it again, but I just think about the, you know, the, the, the vampires just being so, they just take you out of it. And there's so much about them. I mean, that movie made me cry, you know, when he realizes, you realize Sam's a girl. I mean, all that, you know, all those great, great moments. Um, but yeah, I totally, I totally agree with you. And people hit walls, you know, where you have to rely on CGI, but, I think a smaller movie where you can put some money into the practical can be so effective because again, you're really interacting with it. You're really seeing it. That's why the thing is so oh, good. Oh man. Yeah. It's gotta go on my I'm coming up with all these movies I've forgotten <laughs> about. Put it on my list. But um but yeah, I just it, yeah, you can't can't beat him, man. Uh, speaking of practical effects, just to quickly jump back to Elm Street, you mentioned obviously the with, with the Dream Warriors, where obviously you got the puppeteering scene. One of the, the key things why I put the first one as top tier is because of that scene. Oh man, that was in Dream Warriors. Yeah, yeah. That was number one, where it's the that was number the, one. Yeah, where it's the Tina, and he's like, <laughs> I mean, I think that, like, oh. that image and, and the image of, of, of the body bag being dragged. Yeah, the body bag. Oh, yes. Unreal. And it follows, feels a lot like, definitely pulls from, from Nightmare on Elm Street, just kind of the sense of dread in, 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 the, in the town. It's just so good. Well, I think there's even like a, a classroom scene, isn't there? And it, it follows that kind of references it with the old lady, just it's that slow pace and it follows of it. It's going to get you. It doesn't matter how slow yeah. it's walking. Yeah. Oh, man. It's good dread. Yeah, really, really good. I'm going to add a bunch of films to my list now. I know I am. <laughs> trying my- to remember. I know I, I perked up. It Follows, New Nightmare, and it was one <laughs> that I feel like we just talked about. It was like, oh, yeah, that one's also... The Thing. 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 The thing. thing. Duh. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, because Evil Dead. I mean, Evil... Oh, Dead by Dawn is... I mean, I know that the original, I, I don't think the original is, is that, I mean, the original is just, you have to watch the original, but Dead by Dawn is basically the original with like, with money, which is unfair, yeah. but I, I've watched that. I rewatched that. Like I've rewatched, you know, Hot Fuzz. I mean, it's just like, so I could just any, any time, any day I could, I could go a hundred times, you know, checking that one out. I, think it's just I feel like, like Hot Fuzz is such a quotable film. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. second nature to. Sergeant Angel. Yeah. <laughs> and just the transition shots. I mean, there's a great filmmaking, uh, you know, uh, Edgar Wright's process and just how he just the untraditional way of like showing the passage of time, like taxi light, the plant. Yeah. The, yeah. Riding on the plane, on the train. So effective. So effective. Yeah. So actually getting back to talking about your film, Scare. Oh, oh yeah. I yeah, made Quick 180. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, write that one down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should. But speaking of Shudder, how did that come about? Where, because we should specify, we'll mention this in the intro anyway, but it's now out on VOD at the time yeah. of this. Yeah. Um, but it's been exclusively Shudder. Um, how did that come about? Was that from Sundance? Because I know you took it there. Uh, we actually, um, 
this is kind of crazy, but it was it was before Sundance. The film was made. The film was done. There was a, <clears throat> a version of it, um, and separate of that, I wanted to. I asked my managers if they could get me an interview to direct the new Creep Show, and I had no film under my belt. I only had you know Cabin and you know all these kind of short films and <clears throat> some sort of random uh, random projects under my belt, but no film experience and um they couldn't get me an interview because people like greg, greg nicotero were were directing creep show uh and i was a, a bona fide nobody but they uh, did send the cut to shutter and then <clears throat> their head of acquisitions essentially e emily gatto who is the most awesome human being on the planet um she's so rad she pursued us and she was like, we need this. We need this. This is fresh and different. Haven't seen anything of this before. And we were all sort of reluctant because Shudder wasn't quite the platform that it is mm -hmm. now. It's sort of growing and growing and growing. And it was still cool. And I think I had an account at the time anyway. It was at least intrigued enough to think about it. And, um, and they, <clears throat> they made the offer to, to purchase it, which was, which was really stunning. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. And in this state of the world, you know, pre-pandemic, you know, movies and small movies that unless Leonardo DiCaprio is your lead or Tony Collette is your lead, you know, um, there's no guarantee you're going to make anything on it. Yeah. So for them to, to at least offer to purchase it for U.S. rights and for Canadian rights, um, and I think in, in the U.K. as well, it's just really, really rad. Because They're wonderful. It, yeah, because to me, I was hesitant about Shudder because there wasn't much grabbing me. But when the documentaries came out, like Horror Noir, In Search of Darkness, and then I noticed your film Skirmy was on there, and I was recommended from actually both Matt's here to watch it. That's what pulled my membership in. It is those wow. unique films and documentaries, I think, that sell it. I think it is too. I think if I didn't have Shudder, if I didn't make... Uh, make scare me i think cursed that documentary series oh man that was yeah. brilliant yeah and the william freaking one leap of faith i just watched i think those just those alone would get me like there's they're so they're so smart and a big piece of that goes to is a testament to sam zimmerman's curation he he goes he taps into it's it's the diversity you've got the queer film community you've got the traditional the original um, the classic docu documentary. I mean, it's <clears throat> it's really uh, it's what's it's what's put them on the map. I mean, they they just they don't yeah. leave anybody out, which is yeah. rad. That yeah. also just speaks volumes to the horror community. Like having made one, you know, where there have been some haters, you know, true horror haters who were like, "This is weak. There's no blood and limbs," um, and there is some blood. Uh, they, they've been so embracing of it. The cool thing about horror movies is that, you know, the, the community is so forgiving and they're so willing to take a chance on a new thing yeah. because, you know, no matter the, almost no matter the budget level. And that's been what's so cool about the, being a part of the horror community now in a way is people are so embracing of you and just kind of willing to take a, you know, take a chance, tell you what they think and how they compare it, how it chalks up to other stuff and what they see in it that reminds them of the other stuff. It's been rad. Yeah, there really is a big community within horror. And I know that especially Shudder itself, uh, like one that stands out to me, I was speaking to people within it because Shudder's got its own Discord uh, talking about the film Terrifier. And it's such a like 
a Marmite film, people either love it or hate it. But it's just a, a great conversation because people are just accepting no matter what and try it. Yeah, is is that the one? Because there's terrifier and terrified, right? There's two. Those are two. Yeah, so, Terrifi- oh, terrified. Terrified, yeah. like the, one of the most scary films of the year or something like that. I haven't checked it I, out. I've not watched Terrified, but Terrifier is the sadistic silent clown that stalks people. It's it's pretty cool. Oh, okay. Well, I have to I have to scare the crap out of myself. Still one for your list? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with you mentioning obviously the curse film series that was on shudder i've got to say the twilight zone episode of that is probably the first episode documentary gathering that has bothered me for about a week after i watched it i know we're thinking the same thing too it's the production designer who got so Mm. emotional about the the you know the main event uh, my God, yeah. I think that one, and, and even, um, it was another, I think, production designer in the other one, in the one about Poltergeist that just got so kind of um, emotional yeah. about the, re- using real skeletons, like how do yeah. we mm. assume that we would? Yeah, it's, it's killer. Should we go on to our last segment? Please, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So our last segment is pet peeves, right? So we want to know what pisses you off the most. Racism and loud most- chewing. You know, uh, all right, yeah. I think loud chewing and ra- I'm sorry, I didn't even let you finish. I just went right in. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it can be the most pettiest things ever, and like, like I said, go for anything, but yeah, I'm on the valid reasons. Um, yeah, I, chewing, chewings, we've had that one before. I, People who are like really loud eaters, I think, yeah, loud eating has always been a thing. My cousin, who I love dearly, he'll he, he probably won't see this. But he used to do a thing when I was young, and I think it's the reason why I don't like loud chewing. Is he? We were like five. He's he's a year younger than me, but he was probably five, and I was six. Um, but he would he would kind of hum when he chewed, and so he would go, and he wouldn't know it, but he'd be like chewing. And he'd be like, mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 it was it was the it was like this yeah bizarre soundtrack. Um, but I think I think more than that. Ignorance and ignorance ha- has an umbrella, right? So under the umbrella of ignorance, you've got racism, entitlement, and and just uh, an all around shitty behavior. And we have so much of it here in the states with the politicizing of mask wearing. We're like, you know, yes, if you and I get sick, we're probably not gonna get it too bad or give it to each other, but. What if you give it to an old person or so, or someone we know, like my buddy's, you know, John, who's got asthma, he could get rid of it. And that people don't think that it's important to wear a mask. It just drives me so crazy. And yet yeah, it sucks. But also, like, Australia's having stadium events now because they kick this thing's ass. And it's like, that's what I want. If it gets me to, like, going to see live music again or going to the movie theater again, not worrying about <laughs> shit, like, let's do it. But anyway, the ignorance of, of uh, yeah, just self-entitled ignorance just drives me crazy. Like, I, I'm not going to because I want to live free. Um, <laughs> it just drives me crazy. We're so indoctrinated as a, as a country. I think that's, that's a, big, a good deal part of it. But it'll end. I feel like you see that more and more now because people are obsessed with, the, oh, you can't see it, the phones and 
constantly consuming and it's just well what about me what can I do you know there's never any thought or consideration for how are you doing how's your family there's this thing it's so interesting there's this thing about legacy you know I feel like we all want to leave our stamp and ironically the thing about phones is that it's it's um it's it's diminishing us and diminishing our stamp we're all staying at home I mean kids in high school when things are normal, you know, um, sexual activity was uh, declining. I'm not encouraging teens to do it, (laughs) but I'm just saying like, you know, even to go on dates and like the social courage to pass a letter and, you know, like go to a movie or go like, you know, like that, the the social interaction aspect, because, you know, kids are so buried because we too, you know, can be so buried in phones. It's sort of it's diminishing our social courage. And I think that's what's terrifying about it in a way, because it's just like, you know, even to think about in the context of the, the virus, it's like at the end of this, are we all just going to be so used to being at home in our sweatpants, which is great that we won't go out and want to communicate yeah. in person again, you know, um, where it already was, was bad enough. We get the entitlement and uh, all that garbage. We're living in a John Carpenter movie. They dude. live. Oh, dude, that's a they, they, they might as well remake it. They might as well do it because yeah. we are. We totally are. You know, get the glasses out. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's very much an era. Where... <laughs> <laughs> it's very much an era where everyone's. It's people don't want to work to get something. For example, everything can be available to get on finance in the UK. Where if you if you want something, you can do monthly payments for it. You don't save for it, and then feel like well, when you get it, that you've oh. earned that gratitude of that you've earned and worked hard to get something. It's like, Oh, I'll just give you my card details and then there'll be a monthly payment for it with interest on it. Whoa. Yeah. So yeah, is, that's a thing. Yeah. And the privilege of credit yeah, is, is a big issue there. I'm sure. What's the kind of, what's the kind of political vibe about, you know, just kind of like, yeah, let's beat this thing. And yeah, let's people, people are fed up with it everywhere. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, sure. Yeah. But what's the, I don't know. I don't know what, what the sense is over there feel like us three are surrounded by a lot of musicians being musicians ourselves so I feel a lot of those people are very left-leaning um you know so maybe we surround ourselves with people who fit our narrative but I've noticed a lot of younger people very much think there's microchips in a vaccine and (laughs) don't want to wear a mask um so yeah yeah there's that it's so funny because we're we're born with a number assigned to us, and we carry around a tracking device. But you're worried that exactly it's a potion, um, potion. The, <laughs> potion. The, the potion is it's a potion, and it'll help you. I, potion. We don't. We need to use the word potion more. Yeah, hundred percent. Potion. More werewolf movies and more potions. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Werewolf exactly. potion. The movie. <laughs> the side of. I think we we. Yeah. <laughs> I think with most people is like they don't because they've not say for example witnessed someone firsthand have it or they've not had it themselves you know what I mean they think they're invincible and like, like you said you get a lot of people going out not wearing the mask for one reason or another but at the end of the day do you know what I mean everyone's vulnerable to it and I've, I've had it myself like with the past like, a couple of weeks ago obviously not as bad as other people mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Um, it kind of hits home you're like hang on a second like this is how like this is how easy it is to get it. Yeah. So yeah. let's just all play our own part. Wear your masks. 
beat it. Obviously, we've got a vaccine now. Do you know what I mean? And just get it over and done with. Because yeah. at the end of the day, it people like, for example, we had um when they, when we came out of lockdown, so we've been having a lockdown sort of thing. I don't know if lockdown. you've had that over there. Um where everything's shut, you're not you're not really allowed out your house unless you're going to work or whatever. Um but anyway, we came out of lockdown for a bit. And uh, a lot of like um, clubs opened up, but just for you know, just so you can sit down and uh, so you're sitting down, maybe like listening to some music, having a drink, but that's it. You're at your table. There's no standing up or anything. But um, once all the clubs shut, they got a curfew at ten o'clock, right? So in places like big cities like Liverpool and Manchester, you've got all these clubs that were shuttered at bang on ten o'clock, and you've got all these people that were inside the clubs coming outside at the same time. So imagine a street full of clubs. And they were literally like, you know what I mean? Like no match, just having a party in the streets and police were coming down the right advance. It's like, man, like you've had the privilege to go out and drink. Don't spoil it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They're just taking advantage and stuff like that was pissing me off. Um, but again, that's people who are very self-entitled and think that they're invincible to it. Yeah, I think from my own personal experience with this, fucking crazy, isn't it? Uh, own personal experience, the main thing that kind of freaked me out with it was pretty much back in March because my uh, my grandmother passed away from COVID. What it says on her certificate, it says COVID. Whereas she already had underlying health issues, but she picked it up from hospital. She didn't have it before going in. So it yeah. kind of puts it in a thing of like, well, if there isn't safe and everyone's going around as if everything's normal, then... What we doing? <laughs> well, we are in a total carpenter situation at that point. I mean, I think the stand is it's still hard to get a copy of Stephen King's book. Uh people are just so um yeah, we're, because we're living in the real the real situation. Yeah, it's 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 scary as hell. But you know what? I mean, there's a piece of me that's like, don't take it out of context, but I'm also just kind of like kill them all. You know what I mean? <laughs> A hundred percent. It's like, you know, let them die. But also, no, but, be, but I want to, I love humans, but it's also like, if you're ignorant, just go to hell. Yeah, you know, ignorant or racist. Thin the herd. <laughs> yeah, I just, just. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, honestly, I mean, that's what it's taken, especially with like, you know, the right-leaning folks in, in, in the States too, that, you know, for the people who really, they talk against it and live free and go to your gyms and then they get it and they're just like this is very serious so <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, what is this mom and dad saved the world like it's just a scene <laughs> it just reminds you of the moment mom and dad saved the world no one's seen it but there's a moment when all these stupid there's a whole planet of people who are stupid and that's like the whole thing it's a planet of stupid people and there's a scene where there's a grenade laying on the ground that if you pick it up you just vanish into thin air like and your clothes drop to the ground and so one after the other, soldier's like, oh, well, oh, made poosh. And then they poof. And then they <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, well, shoot. I mean, it probably wouldn't happen to me. And then they did it. And a whole line. And that's what it feels like. I got to find a clip of it and just be like, COVID be like, you know. We'll, we'll have to insert it. In <laughs> <the movie. laughs> yeah, I got to no. find something to make me the gif. <laughs> right. Wrapping this up before our fate goodbye on a happy note. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my two questions that I've got is what is the first ever horror film you watched and if you could step into a franchise and put your mark on it what would that be ooh damn that's a 
That is an impossible and wonderful, splendid question. Okay, the, the first horror film I can remember watching um, is probably, I think it was Alien. Oh, um, great which is an intense one for a kid. But, um, but I remember, <clears throat> and if it wasn't Alien, it was Aliens. Um, but I can remember my mom looking over at me and, and saying like, you know, it's, it's either that like the ketchup was blood or the blood was ketchup uh, or that they looked like grasshoppers or she was like trying to like euphem euphemize, if that's a word, like dilute how yeah. terrifying it yeah. was. And if that wasn't the first one, it might've been Jaws because Jaws was, Jaws was big in our household. And I remember finding it quite boring, but also being so enamored by, you know, those shark images are just so, um, I was just obsessed with sharks when I was a kid. It might've been because of Jaws, but uh, it, was, it was one of those two, or maybe a toss up between those two and Cat's Eye, but I'm pretty sure it was, it was, it was aliens and just, you know, the, uh, that awesome creature face and the tongue and the whole thing. And then if I, God, I mean, I probably, God, maybe, maybe five, like Ah, way too young. Yeah. And yet they wouldn't let me rent RoboCop. You know how when you go to the video (laughs) store, like RoboCop, oh no, they did. And and, and she made me turn it off after the guy got his dick blown off, uh, which makes sense. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, you go to the video store and be like, oh, it's just a picture picture of a robot. Let me take it home and watch it. Um, so, and then gosh, if there was, I feel like I, I feel like I've been thinking about this, you know, if there was a, if there was a, if there was my sort of stamp to make on a, um, on a horror, uh, on a horror franchise. Well, um, I think I can say this, I think I can say this now, but there was one point an opportunity for me to pitch on a, a, a version of Poltergeist um, a, oh, nice. a, as a television series. And um, <clears throat> my, I think my, my stamp would be without giving anything away would be that, you know, it's, it's time to see um, an African-American family in that context, A, but B, um, you know, what it's like um, from the context or the perspective of the poltergeist. So it's poltergeist, oh, but nice. on the other side. Yeah. And I, I, I would love, I would love to, I would love to do something like that, but you know, because uh, the, the gatekeepers of that franchise won't allow it. I think to be able to see that in a world that's not, you know, ghost dad um, would be really, uh, would be really fun. Um, and uh, you know, the kind of the catharsis of it um, and the, and the excuse to kind of in that Matheson sort of way, like your imagination and the way that you're sort of dreaming when you, when you die and your brain is sort of fading out that your dreams and your imagination are sort of manifested. So if the last film that you saw was the howling, that in the afterlife, the wolf and the howling would be part of your experience and would come after you or speak to you wow. or give you advice. So, and, and so that sort of amalgamation as you're kind of fading out. And I think in that, all of the emotional groundedness and all of the humor of it um, while still making that homage to practical effects and everything else. I'd love to, I'd love to, to take on Poltergeist uh, in that degree, but they won't have me, but I want it. 
Right. And with that billion dollar idea, you guys t- put this out into the world. Yeah, we, we've been, manifested it months. now. Yeah, let's see. Six months from now, it's just Mark Duplass, the helm of Poltergeist. <laughs> That's it. Next time you're on, we'll be like, so you doing Poltergeist? Yeah, so you're uh, still suing the. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think um, that comes to roughly over an hour, and we've taken up plenty of your time. That's so good. I think Matt Lunn has frozen my yeah, yeah, it looks like it. Yeah. It's um, an incredible image though, because it could be that he's <laughs> alive and that he hasn't been blinking. Um but maybe he's been taken into the uh the pol- okay. will through the That's exactly oh. it. Oh, I think <laughs> I hear him. Come into the light, Matt. I'm back. No, you're not. I'm waiting for like static to appear on the corner yeah. and just. This is a very oh, host yeah. moment because he. Oh. oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you are. Roughly pixelated back. Um, yes. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> we have a steady connection over in America, but you're around the corner from me, mm-hmm. and we're struggling. It's all of our ignorance. That's what's powered by. <laughs> I'm gonna go uh, fix up my letterbox list because you've reminded me of four that need to be on there, if not three. I think I put it five. I'm gonna give you a follow on letterbox. Yeah, I'm gonna follow you on that just to you do it. No. <clears throat> right, you will do a fake goodbye now. So thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Sure. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks thanks thank you. So that was episode 43 with Josh Rubin. I hope you all enjoyed it because we certainly did. It was well good. And as you've probably probably already heard from that juicy podcast, (laughs) Skirmy is now out on video demand on all platforms you watch films on. Make sure you check it out. If you haven't already, check it out on Shudder as well, where it's been for a bit, but it's still pretty good. Go buy it. It's definitely being added to my digital video collection. Um, However, if you've got to the end of this podcast and you're listening to this point, I assume you can't hit the skip button because you're driving or something. Uh, When you do pull over, be generous. Leave us a review. It helps with the algorithm. No matter where that is, wherever you listen to your podcast, it helps more people find it because we have some decent chats with some decent human beings who deserve a bit more attention. So share it review it, whatever. Enjoy. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.